Hello there. This is Rich Outfield. This is a little bit of a Frankenstein episode of the Rich Outcast. I um, am going to share with you. Oh, so uh, in January of 2021, I did this top to tails uh, cleaning of my room and um, I discovered an SD card that I had recordings on that I had lost. And it had stuff, uh, it had a That Gets My Goat that I recorded with Marshall and Big. And one of my goals in 2021 is to put that episode out. But I've been hesitant because it's super dated. It's about Avengers Infinity War. And I figured no one would care. But, you know, if one of us died, then people would be like, oh, hey, it's a lost episode with those guys. Um, I'll still put it out. I just I, Maybe once the cabin opens up, I will have, you know, okay, now I have a two-hour stretch in which to edit. And um, I'll have to fill those stretches with something. Big Anklevich had this this week in February where he had to spend the night at the station where he works. Uh, he spent the Sunday night and Monday night. I think he went home on Tuesday, but maybe he went home on Wednesday. I, I can't remember. And he wished that he had re made a bunch of recordings of stories so that he could have edited them because even though he was there for 24 hours, he only had a 12-hour shift. And then the next day, it got cut down to his regular eight-hour shift. That was a little tangent, wasn't it? But anyway, I guess the point was that I, I understood, you know, you want to stockpile a bunch of recordings for when you have time to get to them. So that leads me to this episode. On the SD card was a recording that I did, and I thought that it was just like a three or four minute thing in 2016 when I had finished writing The Calling Reunion, the sequel to The Calling. That's already out there, the, the story itself. I guess it's book length, uh, and you can buy it. But I opened that file today, just out of curiosity, and I discovered that it was long, that it was not a full episode's worth, but it was enough that I thought, oh, okay, this wasn't three or four minutes. This was intended to be part of the release episode for The Calling Reunion, and that's come and gone. So I thought, well, I should put that out. I'll put that out as a little bonus for my Patreon supporters. But I also thought about all of the stories. Yeah, we were talking about stockpiling a minute ago. All of the stories I've been recording for inclusion in audio collections. I had this goal in 2020 to put out either, no, I think it might have been both, a regular audio collection and then a Christmas audio collection. And at the end of the year, I started sitting down and recording Christmas stories, but I missed Christmas. And then once that had happened, I thought, well, there's no point in putting out a Christmas compilation now. Uh, and so I started recording a bunch of stories instead of just putting out the ones that I already had in audio, because I have so many 
you know, because this is, you know, probably not your first listen to my show. I had enough that I could have done nothing, just recorded an introduction or a table of contents even, and then put that out, but I didn't do it. So it's a goal for 2021 now, but I just kept recording stories because it's easier. Plus I count any revisions that I do to those stories as words for the day. And when you're writing every single day for 400 days, as a matter of fact, today is my 400th day in a row. You know, you tend to see things that take you away from writing as distractions, as negatives, as irritations sometimes, or, or wastes of time sometimes. Although that, you know, I'm not talking about work when there's dollar sign involved, but maybe you understand what I mean. And plus, the best part of the audiobook process is recording the audio, and everything else is not. But in 2021, I set the goal of putting out the Christmas audio collection, a regular audio collection, and then I got in my head that I could do one centered around a lovely singing voice, which is about a three-hour presentation, but not long enough to release on its own on Audible, although I should. I thought, okay, well, look, I will do another collection called Female Protagonist that's just stories with girls or women as the main characters, and it can feature a lovely singing voice, but it can also feature something like Office Visit, uh, Roll with the Changes, maybe even Night Clerk. I don't know if people will buy it, but more people will probably buy that than would buy just a lovely singing voice by itself. And so put a pin in that and I will run the calling segment and then we'll come back and I will share with you a story that's going into female protagonist that you'll never hear on the show otherwise. Thanks. Hey kids, this is uh, Rish Outfield way back in uh, 2016, pretty close to the end of 2016, but I realize that for you it's, it's past that. If you're listening to this, haven't you always wanted to say that? If you're listening to this and something has happened to me, then that means that I'm dead. No, if you're listening to this, then that means that uh, the sequel to The Calling is being released, that it's finished and published, and you can go buy it. And uh, you know what? I hope that you do. From where I stand, way back in the past, <laughs> Barack Obama is still president. Fidel Castro is still dead. It's the past. And for me, I just finished the story, the book, the novella, whatever it happens to be. So it's very fresh in my mind. It was just yesterday, last night that I typed those most wonderful words. Holy cow. In writing, there's nothing better than the end. I don't know why, it just it fills you with this feeling of accomplishment. And I've, I've said this before, but in 2015, I went to a writing panel where a guy said, you know, I've been around, I've had a lot of sex and done a lot of drugs. And I promise you there is no feeling as good as completing a novel. He might have said finishing a novel. But I just remember going, wow, that's a bold statement. You know, looking around the room, there were three or four people that said, he said he had had sex. He's a monster. 
yeah, you know, I'm not going to go that far, but it sure felt good to write the end. Uh, you know, I don't think that I'm a novelist. I think that I am a short story writer and that uh, sometimes my short stories get out of hand. And uh, I don't feel like this one crossed into novel territory, but I, but I don't know. Because two-thirds of it is written on a computer, which is how, you know, I should be writing. It's so much easier when something's on a computer. You can revise, you can send it to people, you can, you know, you can have like beta readers, you can have spell check, you can look at the number of words. There'll be people that post on Facebook how many words they wrote that day, especially in November when they do the NaNoWriMo. But if you write in a notebook, as I have for the past 20 something years, I'm trying to think of when I first started writing in a notebook. Well, <laughs> I could do that or I could talk to you and I'm gonna choose to talk to you. But if you write in a notebook, then it's just, it's, it's, it's only accessible to people who read the notebook unless you wanna make copies of the pages of the notebook and who wants to do that? I'm just one of those people that does better writing away from home, away from, you know, where I am most comfortable and I have a hundred things clamoring for my attention. And so the notebook is good to take with me to go somewhere that's not home. And I invested in another laptop this Christmas because the laptop that I have been using, there's something wrong with it. The battery dies almost instantly. I ordered a new battery and it wouldn't read that battery. And then I ordered a third one and it also wouldn't read that battery. And so I could only use the laptop places where I plugged it in. But at the same time, uh, I could take it to the library and plug it in there. And that's where a big chunk of this book was written. Or story, if it's just a story. But still, it's nice to have a notebook. You know, there's places that I go and I sit in, like, like if I was going to get a haircut. Uh, you know, you sit in the waiting room. Is it a waiting room? In the lobby? In the something? And, you know, sometimes I will read, but it's so good to have a notebook there and be able to write in it. I, I even went out to the car the other day, just right there on the street. I didn't drive anywhere. I just went out to the car, got my notebook, and wrote a couple of pages. And so there's that. Uh, you know, another place, well, I mean, I, I was going to say another place that I wrote this story, but it, I guess none of it technically got written there. But the past summer, I would try and go bicycling, and I would try and go every single day. Of course, I didn't accomplish that. I tried to go every single day. I didn't even manage every other day. But I would t take the bike. Even if I only had like 10 minutes, I'd be like, okay, 10 minutes is fine. I'd jump on the bike and I would ride. And instead of listening to music, which is nice and I enjoy doing it. And in fact, sometimes, you know, you hear something play and your heart gets pumping and you go faster than you normally would. But instead of doing that, I would ride in silence and I would think about writing. I would think about giving Ben Parks a new adventure. And I would think about this project, I guess, giving Josh, Josh Stewart a new adventure. And I came up with 
something that I wanted to work toward. I guess an ending in this story. And the difficult part with the sequel to The Calling was coming up with the things leading up to that ending. I, I, I came up with the beginning quite easily and then the ending and then I had to fill in the rest. But once I realized where I wanted the story to go, I realized, okay, this will be a, tr a trio. This will be three stories. And the one that I'm writing right now is the middle story. So while I fully hope to be able to write a series of sidekick adventures, you know, uh, Ben Parks, Western stories, you know, for, for years, I hope that I could do that. With The Calling, I only intend there to be three. The short story or, or whatever novelette that the first one was, whatever this one is, and then another one, which might be as long as this one, might be longer, but probably will be shorter. And Big said to me the other day, well, when you finally get that done, then you can just put them all together and it will be a novel, a honest-to-goodness novel. And yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a bad plan. My guess is that you're hearing this probably in the fall or so of 2017. Because my intention is to set aside this story, which I believe I called The Calling Reunion. But I haven't decided for sure yet. But I figured I'd set this aside for a little while, work on something else, and then go back to it, type up the parts that aren't typed, organize it to make sure that, that it's all there, because... You know, sometimes it's not. And then uh, publish it. Maybe I'll ask Big if he can uh, create a cover image that's similar or uh, at least as good as the one he made for the first one. We'll see. I'll do audio for it because that's where I shine, right? then you'll be hearing this episode. Hopefully I've written a bunch of things in between now and then, too. I'm really lucky, guys. I am. 2016 has been a, a year that I despised, but I still feel like I have fewer hardships than most people do. The fact that I have just the time to sit down and write. Like, so many times... In the past year, I've thought, oh, you know, I'd like to run over to the library and, and just and write for an hour, you know? And sometimes I could. Sometimes I'd be like, well, what's stopping me? I'm going to do that. And other times, you know, life got in the way. But I know that for most people, life always gets in the way. It's like, boy, I sure would like to play ball with my boy. Or I sure would like to see my daughter's recital. Or I sure would like to... Uh, Go on a vacation sometime. Oh, gosh, when was the last time we went to Wyoming or wherever it is? And they can't do it. There's just too many things in front of them, too many obligations. I'm lucky in that way. I, I have some obligations, but they rarely throw my life into disarray. And, yeah, I, I've got the time, a lot of times, to write. I occasionally have the time to read. <laughs> even though I don't take that time very often. So I'm lucky. You know, it's past Thanksgiving for me. This feels like a Thanksgiving episode. 
<laughs> it's mostly positive, huh? And you don't always get that from me. So I let you go your way, and I hope that your day is positive. And I hope that you manage to accomplish the things that you're trying to do right now. I also hope that you feel that sense of accomplishment that I did when I reached the end. You, uh, you achieve little things, maybe not every day, but close to it. I hope you recognize that. Good night. Okay, well, there was that. I mean, not particularly enlightening, but it was long enough that I thought, oh, I don't want to just delete this. And so I didn't. I've shared it with you. And now I'm going to share with you something else that uh, should not ever see the light of day. But remember a few minutes ago when I was talking about my collection of stories with female protagonists, I had four or five set aside already recorded. And it's one of those where I could have just gone for it. I mean, the big thing was a lovely singing voice, which has a female protagonist and a female antagonist. And it's long enough. It's, it's probably a, a novelette. I don't know. But it's long enough that I wanted to do something with it. And maybe I will put it out on the outcast. That's definitely a possibility. But... For now, I sat down one time at the library and I typed up the stories that I thought could go into that. And I got in my head that, well, what about the night clerk or meet the new clerk, same as the old clerk or fatherless child? Those are all female-centric dead and breakfast stories. And I, I couldn't decide... Ultimately, I figured I'll just put the night clerk in there because it's a great introductory story to the world of Dead and Breakfast. It was a sort of a, I guess they call it a soft reboot now when it's a, a movie series or whatever like Jurassic World where they start things over but they don't disavow the original films. Um, as a hard reboot would. So I, I was sitting there coming up with stories that I could include in this, and there were a couple that I thought about. You know, like 10,000 Coffins has a female protagonist, but it's practically a book in itself. I'd like to put it in some kind of collection but not that one. Maybe if there was a female protagonist volume two, although I think I would call the second one something else. Uh, I could put that in there and, and something else. But I thought about stories that had female main characters that I hadn't ever recorded. And, and there was one that I think I got Tina to do that was about a girl that worked at Burger King. I guess I could include that, but Tina recorded that for me. And I think I did the male main voice on that. Somewhere there probably exists a version where I did the whole thing. I will look that up and see. And if so, I guess I could include it in this collection. But more to the point, I was looking through my stories and I found another one that had a female main character. And I had never recorded it. I had never shared it with anyone. And I thought, okay... I'm going to sit down and I'll record this one and it will be like a an exclusive bonus track or something like that, you know, 
as though we're doing a CD. But yeah, that that that's what it is. It'll be the only way to get this story. And now, of course, <laughs> it's not the only way. So why would you buy female protagonist? Whoops. So let me just present this, and then we can move on with our lives, okay? What you're about to hear is called Run Away. And that alone should prevent you from ever wanting to listen to it. Run Away by Rish Outfield. Carol Tooley chose that particular night to run away from home because it was warm. There was a bright moon in the sky and her father passed out in his bedroom instead of the living room. She had tried to build up the courage to escape before, always finding reasons, real or imagined, to give up on the idea. But she was really going to do it this time. There had been too many bruises, too many threats, too many tears. She was done. She left Freedom, Oklahoma, long overtired of the irony of its name, with just the clothes on her back, and a satchel filled with the only possessions she could bear to live without. Oh, and an extra pair of underwear and socks. At first, she tried hitchhiking. She'd been at it for only six or seven minutes, when a tall man in a station wagon pulled over and offered her a ride. His name was Rick. His passenger seat was empty, he was heading east, and he spent the whole of the short conversation talking to her breasts. She told him she was actually waiting for her cousin to pick her up, apologized, and crossed to the other side of the road. She'd never hitchhiked before, and it was just too scary to start now. Besides, it would be dark in an hour or so. She began to walk down the road but changed her mind when she saw a bus stop at the curb a block away. Maybe it was fate, because a bus pulled up at the stop right before Carol got to it. She hurried and got on board right after a skinny woman with a very fat baby. She paid the bus driver and sat down toward the back. The bus picked up passengers twice more, then got on to Interstate 64, where its stops became less frequent. She didn't mind the bus ride all that much, since she took one to school every morning, and this one had nicer seats. For many miles, Carol was alone with her thoughts. Afternoon became dusk, which became night, and then she started to wonder just where exactly she was headed. She had no family, nobody expecting her, and no specific destination in mind. Maybe she'd just watch where the bus took her, and get out when a particular stop sounded good to her. Wayne, Ross, Chester, Thomas. Every town had a man's name. It reminded her of the greedy look in the eyes of the tall man who'd stopped to pick her up before she'd changed her mind and taken the bus. The next stop was in Slapout, which had to be a bad omen. After that was Boyd, another man's name. The next stop was actually a town called Hooker. Hooker, Oklahoma. That's definitely where she wanted to end up. She stayed in her seat as the town came and went. That gave her more time to ponder her future, ponder the wisdom of running away at sixteen, ponder her options. She had some money with her, 
but she'd have to find work somewhere. There weren't a lot of jobs she was qualified for. Waitressing, service, fast food, janitorial, maybe sales. At the very least, she could ask at whatever motel she spent the night in if they were looking for help. Just leave it to fate. Goodwell, Siodmak, Huff, the bus driver announced. Goodwell had a nice sound to it. Of course, so did Freedom and Rosedale, where her mother had been born. Nevertheless, Carol stood and asked the driver to wait. She was the only passenger for this particular stop. She got off the bus and looked around. Goodwell was actually three miles north. Siodmak Corners, however, was only a mile south. Siodmak Corners, Oklahoma, it was. She walked, shifting her pack from shoulder to shoulder, glad she hadn't brought more along with her. It was not very dark, as a large moon was just rising, keeping the sky around it blue rather than black. This was a rural place. Not that most of her state wasn't rural, with plenty of trees and pastures and valleys and rock-covered hills. She could smell pine trees, and it reminded her of Christmas. Forest led off on her left, and before long it sprung up on her right as well. But up ahead, beyond the forest, she could see the lights of civilization. One or two, at least. She walked on. One of her feet was sore, and she expected to find an attractive blister there when she got where she was going, wherever that was. Soon she noticed a tall fence going along one side of the road. It must have been a deer fence, since it was too high for cars, or even horses, and Carol followed it until she reached the now-entering Siodmak Corners, Population 81, Mayor Bosley Gravel Welcomes You. She wondered if a town that small would even have a motel. Passing the sign, Carol followed the single two-lane road that passed through the middle of town. She could see the tall fence on the other side of the road now, too, apparently protecting any cars that might be driving through from scampering wildlife. There were a pair of houses up ahead, big old houses made of mostly wood, with huge backyards the size of city blocks. Down the roadways was another pair of houses, but the neighborhood was so spread out it was hard to see them. There were no street lamps, no people could be seen, and there were no signs of life from the homes, not even the familiar glow of a television set. If it hadn't been for the large moon in the sky, she might not have been able to see where she was going. That definitely didn't look like a town that would have a motel in it. So much for going with my gut, she said to herself. In response, she heard a sound to her left, a rustling in the trees. Just a bird, maybe. But then it was followed by movement, snapping branches, and a low, wet growl. A dog? A bear? Whatever it was, she was glad there was a fence between her and it. She began walking faster. There came the unmistakable sound of a wolf or dog baying somewhere in the woods, far away, yes, but terrifying to Carol nonetheless. Nobody had their porch lights on, and all the houses looked abandoned, except for one. As far as she could tell, that was the light she had seen from half a mile back. Carol crossed the road, glancing behind her as she did and headed for that house. As she neared its boundaries, 
she heard another sound. It wasn't as far away as the howl had been, and it wasn't as easy to identify, but it sounded like a man screaming. Carol broke into a run. She reached the front lawn, the stone sidewalk, the porch. She imagined looking behind her and seeing something or someone barreling out of the woods at her, fence or no fence, so she didn't look behind her. The house didn't have a doorbell, but a big brass knocker which she rapped at with trembling hands. Another light came on, and a female voice called, A minute! from inside. That's when Carol was most afraid. She forced herself to look around, and appeared to still be alone out there, but her imagination filled every shadowy spot with a prospect of menace. The heavy door clicked, and Carol turned to see a plump old woman unlocking it on the other side. She pulled the door open, looking at the girl with concern. She wore a threadbare green bathrobe and held a damp tissue. Yes? Are you Doug McIntyre's niece? No, I, I was... She glanced behind herself, nervously. I need... Oh, you poor thing. Do you need help? There was... Carol started to say. I mean, I think I heard something in the woods. Something? M maybe it was nothing she heard herself saying. But of course it hadn't been nothing. There was something like screaming out there just a minute before. She didn't know what in nature might make a sound like that. She told the truth. I got scared. And this was the only house with someone at home, the woman said. Not really a question. Well, come in, come in. You should be safe in here. Carol did as she was told and the old woman closed the door behind her. She peered out the little window at the top of her door, into the night. If anything, it reassured the girl that there might indeed be dangerous animals out there. The woods aren't always safe, the old woman said quietly. She seemed to be thinking about something, something Carol had reminded her about. Carol made it a point to ask her about the high fences, and just what might be living in the woods outside. But first... She had to ask about lodging for the night. Is there a motel or, or inn or bed and breakfast around here? In Seoud Mac Corners? Oh, heavens no, the old woman said. There's not much here but twenty houses and a bar. Are you lost? No, not exactly, anyway, Carol said. I came here right off the bus. Guess I thought the town would be bigger. Well, that's understandable, I suppose, the old woman said and coughed. Well, sit down here at the table. I've just cooked myself some chicken soup. Would you have some if I gave you a bowl? Carol made a neutral sound, but did sit at the table. It had a lace embroidered tablecloth on it, with leaf patterns every so often, all stitched by hand. The woman went to the stove and turned the burner off. She wire-whisked the pan, then brought it over. I'm just getting over the flu, to tell the truth, she said. She poured a third into a china bowl and passed it to Carol, then poured a third for herself. She sat down opposite her, sighing as she did so. I've been so tired and weak. I wasn't able to get out of bed before tonight. That reminded Carol of her father, who sometimes drank so much he had to be helped to the bathroom. The thought of her home filled Carol with the oddest combination 
of anger and nostalgia, though she hadn't even been gone a day. The old woman took a spoonful of soup, then winced, batting at the air. Careful, it's hot. Carol thanked her and blew on hers before tasting it. It was good, the kind not made from a can, but homemade, with real chicken in it. I'm Margaret, by the way, the old woman said. Carol. Margaret smiled with her eyes. You look like a Carol. What brings you to town? You can't have any relatives here. That seemed like a strange thing to say, but Carol had heard of those idyllic little American towns where everybody knew everybody's name and everybody's business. She supposed those were few and far between now, even in the Midwest. No, I guess I don't. She explained her presence just a little, not giving a lot of details, but enough to get her point across. Oh, you poor thing, the old woman said again. I had a husband once who was prone to drink. It left him prone, no joke intended, but every once in a while he could get surly. She leaned in, as if they might be overheard. So I appreciate your situation, believe me. What happened to him? My husband? Oh, he passed. She smiled, seeming very grandmother-like. Under all this beauty, I'm really an old lady. Carol smiled noncommittally. Margaret looked anywhere from sixty to eighty, but that sort of thing was often hard to judge. They ate in silence for a moment. Then Carol heard, far away and outside of the house, another of those howling sounds. Did you hear that? Margaret was spoon-feeding herself slowly. Her hand shook as she lifted the soup to her mouth. A bit of it spilled out, splashing onto the nice white tablecloth. I heard something in the woods before, Carol said, fear playing at the back of her neck, like a spider or a feather, or a feather with a spider crawling on it. Some kind of... We sometimes have mountain lions, the old woman whispered, not looking up. For some reason, Carol knew Margaret was lying. This, too, gave her an unpleasant tickle. Maybe it was a spider covered with feathers. I saw the fence. Is it to keep cars from hitting something? Or to keep something from getting... A growling sound came from behind the house, the rough, throaty sound of a dog about to leap. A big dog. You heard that, right? Margaret didn't answer. She laid down her spoon and began to massage her hand. Arthritis, probably. But the gesture could also be interpreted as worry. Carol remembered the old woman locking the door behind her. You know what's out there, she said. It wasn't a question. The moon, Margaret whispered, then bowed her head as if praying. All of a sudden, Carol knew what it was. The moon was bright and full that night. Normally she didn't believe in monsters or aliens or miracles, but it was certainly easier to believe in werewolves when you'd heard one in the woods. Carol, too, lowered her head to pray. Across from her, the old woman gasped and jerked a little in her chair. Carol looked up again. Margaret's hands were tight fists in front of her. Ma'am? Margaret? The old woman shuddered, 
then shook her head a little. Well, I guess I'm feeling better after all. That was another strange thing to say, since she looked to be in a great deal of pain. Carol stood. The chair made an awful screeching noise on the wood floor. What can I do? Oh, there's not much you can do now, the woman said through gritted teeth. Gritted, lengthening teeth. Carol shrank away from her. You're welcome to run. Margaret grunted and stretched out her fingers, which now had dark claws protruding from their ends. But someone else might catch you if you go outside. What's... Carol backed away from the table, causing the chair to tip and start to fall over. Out of habit, she caught it and set it upright. We're all special here in Siad Mac Corners, the old woman said, though her voice no longer sounded like hers. Her eyes were squinting and yellow, her tattered bathrobe ripped at the shoulders and along the spine. Tufts of white hair were sprouting on her arms, on her neck, on her face. Special on Foo Moon Nights. Carol ran for the door, panic overtaking her. She gripped the lock and turned it, just as a bestial black wolf face looked through it at her. A long thread of saliva ran from the corners of its grin. Like tonight, the Margaret Wolf growled behind her. You poor thing. The End So there you are. Let's grab that little chorus of demonic children and have them make some kind of statement on the story. I didn't tell you this before uh, I played it, but this was actually written for a contest, and the contest was my own. It was written for the first Broken Mirror story contest that we did on the Doonstief, where a person comes into town and discovers that everyone there is exactly the same. I didn't know what to do with that prompt, so I had a couple of different ideas. And what I ended up doing was writing three stories and submitting them under various pseudonyms to the Doonstief for their judges. This, this very first one I remember being somewhat ambitious because I think we still had Sudden Death Nicole as our submissions editor, and she put together a, a crew of judges, and they gave scores to the stories, and it was kind of independent of Big and me. We didn't participate in it really at all. And so I submitted these three stories, and all three of them lost the contest. That's how you know that the contest's not rigged, kids. None of the three stories were real winners in the other sense of the word either. And I think that that's why I kept coming up with new ideas. Because none of them spoke to me in the way that... Like, I'm trying to think of what the second one was... We'd done so many broken mirrors on the Doomsteef, 
I feel like the second one was a child is proclaimed king. Luckily. But it turns out to be more than just a game. And I know I wrote two stories with that premise. Didn't I? And I, I lost that one as well. But I don't remember writing something where I was just like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is the one. This is super inspired. And sometimes that does happen in a contest. You'll be so grateful that the contest came along because it was like, oh, this story was inside me all along. It just needed an excuse to get out. I've shared a bunch of the stories that I wrote for Horror Addicts, their yearly contest on here, including the one, the last one, which was Misfortune. And as I was writing it, I thought, oh, this one's going to win because it just, you know, it felt like all the pieces were falling together. And going back to the calling, the calling, the first one was written for a contest where the premise was a phone rings in the middle of the night. The person on the other end only says one word, but it is enough. And I wrote a story immediately based on that prompt. It wasn't particularly good, and I've never shared it with any of you. But then I got the idea that would become the calling. And it was like, no, 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 no. This is the story. And so these things happen. I wonder about real writers. For example, Tim Pratt is often con conjoined. No. Conscripted. No. Confounded. No, commissioned, that's the word I'm looking for, to write stories for the escape artists' shows. And they'll give him a topic, or we want a story like this, or we just want a Christmas story. And I wonder about something like that, that, you know, if I were given that kind of opportunity, where it's like, okay, hey, we're going to have you write a story for us, how I, that would feel if I would feel like the story had to be inspired, the story had to be just, you know, really excellent. Or if I would be okay with just, you know, this one's not particularly a winner, but I did write it for them and it belongs to them now and I'll just go on to the next one. With this story... Someone comes to town and discovers that everyone there is exactly the same. I, I, I couldn't come up with a, an idea that I loved. And so I wrote three stories, none of which are particularly good. But that represents me really, really trying. There is something to be said for trying your best. Uh, even if you lose. I did record another one of those stories for inclusion in one of these myriad audio collections. And maybe I will present that either on the show or throw it in to a collection. You know, there were a couple of moments in that story that I liked. And there are a couple of moments in Runaway that I liked. And I love the underlying idea of an entire community made up of werewolves. I think that's 
probably been done. But I, in 2020, I went back to it. I came up with this idea of a school bus going to a high school basketball game that stops in this little town in the afternoon on the way to the playoffs or whatever you call the, the final basketball, the tournament, right? Uh, they stop in this little town to get gas and there's like an old-fashioned diner in this little town. And so on the way home, the students bug the bus driver about going back to that little town and letting them get food at that diner. And it is one of those towns. It, th this is a town made up of werewolves. And so it's a big mistake to go back to this town. And the bus finds that it's been sabotaged by the townsfolk. They don't want it to leave. I didn't finish this story, but I'd like to. I, it feels, if not inspired, it feels like something I can get behind. You know, it's got the high school kids. Uh, it's got the horror element. Uh, it, the, the, the only reason I didn't write it was because it felt like it's long, like it's a screenplay, not a story. You know what I mean? There are ideas that come to me visually and I want to write them as scripts. Uh, and I won't do it, because that's a waste. But I thought about it. I was a little bit hesitant to broach this subject because people can take things in the wrong way. And in my opinion, a lot of times people choose to take things in the wrong way. Context means a great deal to me. And so, please uh, accept what I'm about to say in the best possible context. It is difficult sometimes to know whether I am writing a female protagonist that is authentic, that is genuine. There are differences between males and females, just in our nature and our nurture. And when I did the episode uh, Roll with the Changes, that was originally a story with a male protagonist, and I changed it to a female one. And it does alter the way that the story goes. You can't just swap out the gender and have it be exactly the same. As far as this story goes, the feel is very, very different if it's a male main character who runs away from home. Because we, even though they are not tough and invulnerable naturally, we see boys as less in need of protection, as more autonomous and more, uh, he'll be all right. He'll come back when he's good and ready kind of thing. With the girl in this story, I was aware that there's a, maybe a target on her head that would not necessarily be there if it were a boy that ran away. Is that a delicate way of putting it? I hope so. You know, we hear a shitload, sorry about the language, about rape culture, about the male gaze, about toxic masculinity. And I understand that over the last four years or five years, 
that comes to the fore because of, you know, where we were politically in this country. It, it is sometimes hard for me to put my head in that place because I've been told over and over again over the last decade that I am a predator and that, you know, all of the ills in our society fall at my feet. Do you know what I mean by that? Let me give you an example from just last week. And, and this was the thing that I was afraid of mentioning. So I went to the library. I go to the library almost every single day, just right before it closes, because the library is just down the road. It's really close to get there. I'll take my laptop and I'll do what I can before the library closes to get my words in. And I was sitting and I looked across and the sun was going down and its reflection or the light, that golden light was reflecting off the white snow on the mountains. And it was spectacular. And I stood up and I was like, oh my gosh. And I walked toward it with my phone to get a picture because you understand how these things work. If you wait too long, the light changes and, and, that, and your opportunity for this picture is gone. But there was a college girl sitting near the window. And as I walked toward the window to get this picture, I saw her start and her react with either nervousness or outright fear that I was walking quickly toward her. And it bothered me. It upset me. I, I, I had no intentions toward her. I wasn't going toward her. I, I was trying, and I, I held my camera to show her, that, and it didn't help. I was a predator. I was there to cause her harm because I am bad. And I don't know that there's any sidestepping that issue except for to just not be bad and hope that eventually that goes away. When I lived in LA, my best friend was black and he would say, you don't know what it's like. When I go into a convenience store, the dude behind the counter or the lady behind the counter looks at me and looks at my skin color and says, is this guy going to rob me? Is this guy going to try and steal something? Is this guy going to try and shoot me? And I see it whenever I go in. They don't know me. I'm a good person. I would never do that. But all they see is my skin color. And I, when he said that, I was just like, Jesus, really? Because I think we all have had that look. I mean, I certainly have where you go into a store and you get the side eye from the clerk or the employee that says, oh, you're here to shoplift or you're, you're up to no good. I, I had experienced that from time to time, so I, I, I understood where he was coming from. But again, he said this was every time that he goes into a store, every time, you know, he goes into a 7-Eleven. And that bummed me out. And I said, but what, how, how do you get over that? How do you get past that? And he said, well, either I stop going to convenience stores or I only go into them in black neighborhoods. Although, you know, have you ever been to a convenience store in a black neighborhood? You know, everything is locked up. 
you know, the guy behind the counter is expecting one of us to try and rob him at some point. And so it's just more of the same. And I was like, okay, so you can't not go to a convenience store. And he said, well, the only thing that I can do is just keep doing what I'm doing. Let them know by my behavior that I'm not there to make trouble. I'm a good customer and hope that eventually in, in my kid's lifetime, they won't get that look when they come into the convenience store. He was actually very, well, he was this very smart guy, he, but he was wise in ways that I am not. And we got along so well because in many ways we were the same. And every once in a while I would be reminded that we weren't like something like that, where he'd say, you don't know how it is. So yes, the, the, the reaction that I got from this girl, and I, I will admit that it bothered me. I thought of Boromir in The Fellowship of the Ring saying, why do you recoil? I am no thief. It bothered me, but it's just the burden that I, as a guy, have to bear. On the most recent episode of The Rookie, one of the male police officers is talking about a violent incident, and he says, well, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And his partner, who is a girl, says, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, you know, it's just an old saying that, you know, that you don't want to anger a woman because she's the most dangerous. Uh, and and she, she says, but the vast majority of violent incidents, crimes of passion are committed by whom? And he goes, by, by men. And he's sort of chagrined because it's ruined his little joke, the, the hell hath no fury joke. I think it goes hand in hand with that. It's just the male gaze is a thing because 49% of us are male. The, 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 the girl hitchhiking, somebody offers to give them a ride and because of the way that he's looking at her, she doesn't get into the vehicle. And, you know, I, I can to a certain extent, imagine what that would be like. And we've all, like, well, you know, I've, I've told the story of me picking up a hitchhiker a couple of years ago. And as I was driving, thinking, uh-oh, this was a mistake. The opposite, I'm sure, is very true. A lot of young women, and they don't even have to be young women, get in a situation where they go, uh-oh, this was a mistake. And, uh, it's something that I need to be cognizant of in my writing. But, you know, of course, also in, in real life, too. And, but in, in real life, it is sometimes hard because I can't help the way that I look and I can't help the way that I look at other people. You know, if I find uh, somebody attractive and her response is, ugh, I don't take that so well. But yeah, but let's not talk about real life. Let's talk about the writing, about the stories. Let's see. I, I just wrote a dead and breakfast story where it's got a male protagonist and he's a douchebag and he comes to the reception desk and Michelle, who has burns, she's got burns on her face and she's got burns on her hand. So she, she will often brush her hair over the burns on the left side of her face and I don't think that I've ever said that she wears a glove or anything like that. But 
the guy is getting a room and he sees the the burns and you know immediately like a switch clicks off in this guy's head where he doesn't see her as a a, a potential romantic partner and that's part of being a writer and trying to put my head in another person's headspace. Michelle gets that all the time. I, I really like the character. She, in my mind, she's not unattractive. But because she has these burns that has limited her dating possibilities and there are times when she is lonely and I think I established that she had a dog for a long time. It was like a little white dog, like a Shih Tzu or a Maltese. I think it was a Maltese. And one day that dog went away and she just felt its absence and felt so alone, which we've all felt. But, you know, I try to think about how that would be to look around and, and, and everybody else is having such a good time. And, and see, I've established that there, there are two female clerks. There's Natalie Whitmore, who is model-level good-looking. And that has been really interesting in having the two of them interact. They, I haven't written a lot of stuff where they interact, although yesterday I wrote a scene where the two of them had their conversation about ghosts. And Natalie is one of those people where if she finds a guy attractive... She could be with that guy if she wanted to. And that is such an alien concept for Michelle. And it's such an alien concept for me as well. That sometimes it is hard for me to like Natalie Whitmore as a character. I have had Michelle think very unkind things about Natalie. And as I continue to write these stories... Hopefully those two characters will evolve and become more three-dimensional. And Michelle is still sort of a blank slate with me because I've only written one story from her point of view. Although in the, the book-length Dead and Breakfast story, she gets an entire subplot. And that's easily the, the length of a short story there. But I, I feel empathy toward her. I, I want her to have happiness and feel comfort and, and possibility. And that, I, listen, I want everybody to feel comfort and possibility. The idea that tomorrow might be better than today is such a great thing in keeping you going, in, in motivating you to do things, in motivating you to even get out of bed. And there are so many people, and, and sometimes myself included, definitely, that don't feel that. That say tomorrow is going to be just like today or worse. And that's very sad and it's, 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 it's too bad. I see people who are really, really happy and have so much to look forward to. And every single, not every single week, but let's say three out of four weeks... Someone will ask me, got any plans for the weekend? And I almost always have to either lie or turn it around and say, meh, how about you? There are so many people that live for the weekend and the weekend is just this magical time when anything can happen and it's all going to be good. 
And that, and I love that idea. It's just not the case for me most of the time. Like this weekend, maybe I'll go for a hike by myself. I went to the store with my nephews and by noon, you know, the 10 year old was complaining and saying, can we go home? You know, and that's, that's it. That's it for my weekend. I don't see a way around that, but I got to just keep forcing myself to do new things and to, to try and hope that at some point, maybe I will make new friends or the other thing and that tomorrow will be better than today was. None of this has anything to do with run away, does it? Runaway is just, it's, it's, it's a very simplistic story. It's not got any nuance to it. And I don't know that it's any good. But I shared it with you because I wanted there to be something to this episode. And, and looking at the glasses half full, one of you Patreon supporters often tells me, you know, I just want you to share more stories. And I am taking that as I really like your stories. I like your writing. But in the past, I have definitely taken it as, I don't want to hear you talk about your life or about your cabin. I want stories. So here's been another one. I've shared it with you. And I continue to write every single day. And that means that there will be more stories to share with you. And on that SD card was a recording that I did in 2017 of a story for the podcast. And I think that it was a two-parter kind of thing where it says, okay, that's it for this installment. Come back in six months and we'll do the next installment. Something that I hadn't really thought of doing before, but I had completely forgotten about because it was, it's been lost for these years. That's something that I should edit and present to you guys because it was an experiment that I was going to do in 2017 to see if people liked that. I had this idea that I would set like a day of the year and every year on that day or that week, I would present another installment in this series. Uh, And I never did it, but it's all recorded. All it has to do is be edited and out there. And maybe you guys would love it. I am a little bit afraid of going back and listening to the recording because maybe the story is not that good, but it's, it's, it's two stories. We'll see. That's something to look forward to. I hope that your tomorrow is better than your today was. I thank you very much for supporting me on Patreon. I, I am trying to make these conversations interesting to give you stuff on a regular basis. Uh, Life interferes a lot of times, as you can tell, uh, definitely in your own life, right? But thank you for coming with me on this little journey. And uh, that's it. Talk to you soon. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This burlap sack filled with squirming madness was produced under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. That sounds crazy too, I realize, but it means that you may copy and download the file, free of charge, but it does not belong to you. You cannot charge for it or alter it for your own 
perfidious purposes. What's perfidious mean, Fakeshan? Oh, you think I know? I just read what's put in front of me. Was well, that so? Then here. Rish Outfield is a fine, fine lad, and would make a fitting boyfriend for any of you ladies out there. Wow, you really do read what's in front of you. Yes, even if it's false. <clears throat> the music used in the episode was by one Kevin MacLeod from the website incompetech.com, also under a Creative Commons license. And please consider going to www.patreon.com forward slash reshoutfield to support the show if you appreciate any part of the madness. Good night. Now I'm, I'm getting second thoughts because I wanted there to be something that was exclusive to that collection. I'll figure something out. No big deal. I, I, there are so many little stories here and there that I could include or I could force myself to sit down and write something new. And even if there isn't something exclusive to it, are people going to buy it at all? Sorry. Uh, maybe that can be an outtake. <laughs> there you go. Play, play, run away, would you?